I'm Michael Polly, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Well, good day, everyone. I'm recording this show from my office in Rapid City. Uh, my co-host, Chris Motes, could not be here as he had another important obligation today. So I'll be doing this show without my wingman, but I think it's gonna be a great episode because we have an interesting topic and a terrific guest, which I'll introduce in just a moment. Uh, it's a beautiful fall day and I woke up this morning and went outside the house and there was a crispness in the air. And, you know, I associate that feeling with so many different things. It's harvest time, the children are back in school and Halloween decorations are starting to go up. Uh, but for those of us who are political junkies, that crisp feeling in the air means there's an election in our near future. So this year, the election is on Tuesday, November 8th. And on today's episode, we're going to tackle the topic of initiated measure 27. And that, as many of our listeners know, is the measure that would legalize the possession, use and distribution of marijuana. Uh, this is not the first time we've talked about this topic uh, on faith and politics, but it's an important issue, uh, and I've wanted to explore it from a number of different angles, and for some time I've wanted to have somebody who can really tackle it uh, from a law enforcement perspective. And today's guest is eminently qualified to do that. I'm happy to welcome to the program Pat West, who is a veteran law enforcement officer in South Dakota and who was just this year elected to be the Sheriff of Meade County. Pat, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, looking forward to visiting with you today. Awesome, awesome. Well, maybe just to uh, uh, kick us off here today, uh, obviously uh, many folks who live out in uh, West River, uh, South Dakota are uh, familiar with you and uh, many of them voted for you, I, I suppose, if they live in Meade County. Uh, right. But for uh, we do broadcast to a statewide audience. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with you, maybe you could just spend a couple minutes talking about your uh, law enforcement background and, and particularly maybe with an emphasis on uh, your experience related to uh, drug enforcement. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you for having me, Michael. Um, this is, uh, again, my name is Pat West, and I am uh, a 28-year law enforcement uh, veteran. Uh, began my law enforcement career uh, in 1992 with uh, the Deadwood Police Department. Um, after working there for a brief stand, I went to work for the State Division of Criminal Investigation under the Attorney General's Office. And I spent about 26 years uh, working for the DCI uh, primarily, when I first started, I worked, uh, I got into the uh, narcotics investigations where I did a lot of uh, undercover work uh, in the northern hills in western South Dakota working uh, drug investigations. And then later on, I got promoted and was a supervisor for approximately 16 years where I supervised the violent crime unit along with the unified narcotics enforcement team unit, which was the drug unit which was uh, stationed out of Rapid City. So during that time frame, I was exposed to a lot of different uh, crimes and uh, you know, a lot of those crimes often associated with, with the, the drug world. Okay, okay. So 
that's a that's a good segue for my next question. Uh, so, as I mentioned, you know, we have this uh, initiated measure twenty seven on the ballot, uh, which would uh, which would legalize uh, the uh, the sale and the use of marijuana. Uh, and one of the things that I've really become aware of as I've started to work on this issue is that uh, most of the people who, including myself, who will be going into the voting booth and casting ballots on this measure, um, really don't have direct experience with marijuana. So the state of South Dakota uh, has a report that they publish on drug use. And according to their data, 87% of South Dakotans haven't used marijuana in the last 12 months. And that's good news, obviously, uh, but it also means that, as I said, the vast majority of people who are voting on this really don't live in the world of those people who regularly use marijuana. And as a leader in law enforcement, you encounter that world on a regular basis. So, I mean, just to start our discussion, give us like the 30,000 foot view of how you see marijuana use affecting those individuals who use it and also the broader society. Right. And, you know, that's that's a, a pretty interesting t- uh, statistic. Um, what people need to realize is this marijuana may only affect a certain amount of people individually that are using it. But what they need to realize is the overall scope of things is how it's going to affect not only the people that are using, but also uh, close friends of those people, family and ultimately the community, because it will affect everyone especially if this if this thing passes um there's going to be a lot of people that like you said may not understand what it means or how it's going to affect them until potentially it could down the road where uh an individual might be under the influence of uh marijuana crash their vehicle and either hurt you or a family member then all of a sudden it becomes really personal so People need to understand when they go to the voting uh, booth, you know, November 8th, that they need to understand it's not only going to affect uh, those individuals that are using, but it's it's going to affect the entire public. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the issues that I want to dive in with you uh, is the uh, connections between marijuana use and crime, uh, because this is something where there's a lot of you know, I guess conflicting data. People hear, you know, conflicting uh, uh, signals about what's going on with marijuana and its connections to crime. So, from your experience, um, unpack that a little bit from our for our listeners. Sure. Well, st- uh, statistically, again, it is shown across uh, these other states that have legalized recreational marijuana that crime will increase. Now, what what does that necessarily mean? Well, basically, what I have seen is again, how this affects individuals. You're gonna have people that are using marijuana that are going to be uh, less likely to wanna work, that potentially uh, are gonna quit paying their bills, uh, may end up homeless. And then as a result of trying to uh, fund that um, marijuana habit, they're gonna resort to to crime. And a lot of times we see different types of crime, whether it be, violent crime and or uh, property crimes in which people are stealing things to fund their drug habit. So again, across the board, the uh, statistics have shown that if marijuana becomes legal, crime will increase not only 
that way, but also um, highway accidents, highway deaths, things like that are also going to be affected directly as a result of this. Okay. So uh, if you're just joining us, uh, we're talking today with uh, Pat West, who is the sheriff-elect of Meade County, and we're talking about Measure 27, which is the proposal on the November 8th election ballot to uh, legalize uh, marijuana for uh, so-called recreational purposes in South Dakota. Um, so uh, so you were talking about crime uh, just a moment ago, and and I want to kind of break that down into, well, there's a, I guess there's a number of different ways we could uh, divide up the crime problem, but obviously, um, you know, I think most people uh, understandably are most concerned about violent crime. So uh, talk a little bit about your uh, experience uh, in terms of how you see marijuana connected with violent criminal episodes. Right. Well, there, there's, there's a couple different different stories that I could share with you, and I'll share briefly. Number one, I remember a few years back, um, I received a phone call as part of my job as a supervisor with DCI. We were involved in investigating um, uh, assaults against law enforcement. And I remember uh, a few years back, I received a phone call of an officer or actually a trooper out on the interstate had been uh, violently assaulted uh, during a traffic stop that had occurred just outside of Rapid City. Uh, we responded to the scene and helped to help investigate this. And what had happened was the trooper had made a stop on a vehicle. I believe it was for speeding or something like that. Made contact with three occupants that were in the vehicle and could smell marijuana. Um, as part of his investigation, he removed three of those individuals and uh, conducted a search of the vehicle and ultimately found um, approximately 50 pounds of marijuana that was in the trunk. Well, when he went to initiate the arrest on one of the individuals, this individual turned and punched him in the face, knocking him down, and then proceeded to severely beat him to the point where he was unconscious. Um, the three individuals loaded up uh, their uh, marijuana, got back in their car, and took off and left this trooper for dead. And fortunately, somebody drove by and found the trooper, uh, got him medical attention, but uh, he was in the hospital for several months uh, reco recovering. And it wasn't until a year later that he actually was able to get back out on the highway. So wow. that's one example of just, you know, the individuals that had the marijuana were looking at, you know, some penitentiary time, but to go from that to then uh, assaulting a, a, a trooper so bad to where they received an aggravated assault charge, it ended up going to the penitentiary for uh, several years. I believe they got 40 years out of it. So one example, another example I investigated, um, there were four individuals that were actually uh, good friends that were living uh, in the Northern Hills area. And three, uh, 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 three of them basically turned on the other one and ended up uh, robbing him and stealing all of his personal items and his vehicle, and then ultimately taking him out into the hills area and killing him and, and left him. And I, I believe as a result of that or the reason for that, these individuals had had long-term use of marijuana and had been smoking marijuana for several, several years and marijuana up to that point. And during the investigation, it all came back to the fact that um, their memory, 
I think, and their mind was distor- uh, distorted so much rather than, hey, you know, stealing the guy's stuff and leaving him, they took it to a whole nother level where they ultimately ended up killing him and then uh, are, you know, both ended up, or all three of them ended up going to the state penitentiary. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, that, and, and Michael, that, I mean, that was like small amounts of marijuana, but I believe it was a long-term use that totally distorted what they thought was right and what they thought should be, should be done. Yeah. Well, and and I'm sure you're, you've probably followed this Pat. is that there's this growing um, body of evidence that shows a linkage between uh, uh, marijuana use and psychosis, but particularly amongst people who uh, have schizophrenia, which is not an insignificant, um, you know, number of people uh, in society right. that, that when they're using marijuana, it can be a, a trigger for psychosis, which is obviously linked to uh episodes of uh, extreme violence. Have you uh, in your career seen uh, actual episodes of psychosis or heard of it from other law enforcement? You know, somewhat during during some of our investigations, you know, I've done, you know, over 500 high risk entries involving drugs and marijuana. And yes, I mean, we've seen it personally where we've had to address with people and they become extremely violent and they're fighting with law enforcement and they know that they're not going to have a chance, but they continue to fight until they finally get subdued. But yes, we've seen that on several occasions and it's, and it's, uh, it's, it's something that, you know, I don't even think they realize what they're doing while they're yeah. doing, you know? So, yeah. Um, so, uh, I want to just spend a moment talking about, um, you know, nonviolent crime, um, you know, like, uh, you know, property theft and things of, of that nature that are connected to marijuana. What, what's what been your experience with that? Well, I think a lot of the nonviolent stuff, uh, again, statistics from other states have proven that, you know, recreational marijuana, once it becomes legal, there's going to be an increase in availability of that. There's going to be more use amongst uh, the population, and there's going to be an increase in driving under the influence as well as traffic deaths. Um, also, those individuals, again, you know, are using marijuana and may not have the drive that non-users have and decide that they're not going to work anymore. And then mm-hmm. part of funding their, you know, their drug habit is going to have to start stealing things. So yeah. they're going to steal property. They're going to uh, pawn it. Um, they're also going to be committing burglary. So we have seen that as well. I've seen that in the drug investigation world firsthand where people um, needed to fund that habit. And that's the only outlet that they have because their yeah. family has cut them off because they're stealing from their family. So then they go and they start stealing from other people. So that property crimes is going to increase as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um well, again, if, if you're just joining us, we're talking with uh, Pat West, who is the uh, sheriff-elect of Meade County, talking about uh, Initiated Measure 27 on legalizing recreational marijuana. Uh, so we've been talking a lot about crime, and, and, and it's kind of a good segue to talk about one of the arguments that we hear from advocates of uh, marijuana legalization. And I, mean, I know you're familiar with this argument, Pat, but it basically, you know, when you were 
recount all of these horror stories about crime associated with marijuana, they say, yeah, that's why we need to legalize it. And the, and the gist of their argument is that the reason we have all this crime is because the whole um, marijuana economy is driven underground. It's exclusively a black market. But if we bring that whole economy above ground, then we can, you know, kind of make it neat and clean. You know, we can issue permits for the people who grow marijuana, permits for those who sell it. There can be all these strict rules for how much you can possess and uh, where you can legally use marijuana. And then, of course, um, they, they always throw this one in, too, is that, you know, when you legalize it, then you can tax it. And then government will get all of these revenues that we can then, in turn, use to give help and treatment to those people who are uh, problem users of the drug. So I think to a lot of voters, this just sounds, you know, kind of pragmatic, like, well, yeah, you know, and and the, and one of their their kind of, uh, you know, lines is, is that let's just treat marijuana like alcohol. You know, we don't ban alcohol. We just tax it and regulate it. And, uh, and so why shouldn't we do the same uh, for marijuana? But I guess uh, my question would be is that we have 19 states uh, that have already gone down this road. Uh, and I'm just curious, what's your knowledge of how legalization has worked out in these 19 states? Well, yeah, it, it, and, and that, that's, a, that's a good question. In these other states, it, the statistics have shown that uh, legal marijuana grows as compared to illegal. There's three times more illegal marijuana grows that are popping up. And the reason that that is, is because the amount of money that can be made in the black market. So if you think about the rule of economics, if you have way too much marijuana and not enough people that want to smoke it in your state, what are you going to do with it? You're going to ship it out of state and make more money. And see, and that's what's happened. Uh, like for example, in Colorado, a majority of the marijuana that we find in South Dakota is uh, marijuana that is grown illegally in Colorado. And some of it mm -hmm. is legal, but they're shipping it out uh, to Nebraska, Kansas, uh, South Dakota, and they're making uh, more money by distributing it on the black market side here. It increases gang activity. It increases uh, your drug trafficking organizations which are figuring out, hey, there can be money that can be made there and, and we're going to take advantage of it. Um, you have so many dispensaries or so many grow operations that are growing so much marijuana, it needs to go somewhere. And they're not going to put all that work into it and not make money on it. So I think you're just creating an avenue for that black market. And it has been proved in other states that that's other states that that, that is what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, and and again, from a law enforcement perspective, uh, you know, if you just come across somebody who's got marijuana, I mean, let, let's let's say that me Measure Twenty Seven passes and we've we've decriminalized uh, uh, the marijuana. Uh, you know, you you don't know if somebody has that marijuana in their possession whether they got it from a legitimate permitted uh, dealer or whether they just got it from the black market. I mean, you, you have no way of, of knowing that unless that you is, get that some is, other evidence. Yeah, that, that is true. And talking with law enforcement out of Colorado, I have a lot of good friends there and that average Joe public doesn't know either. Okay. Is this an, a legitimate marijuana growing operation as opposed to this one, you know? Right. And, 
just to throw something into that, Michael, not to get too far off this, but in I am 27, they're saying that each uh, an individual can grow three marijuana plants if there's not a dispensary in his jurisdiction, whatever that jurisdiction may be. Or you can grow up to six marijuana plants in a house, in an individual house. Now, a growing operation lasts three months from planting a seed until uh, maturity, okay? And it's even shorter if you start cloning these marijuana plants. So what people need to realize is if you have six marijuana plants, they average anywhere from a pound up to 10 pounds, depending on how big the marijuana plant is. So let's say you just go for one pound. It's, it's a marijuana plant that's one pound. You have six pounds every three months. That's 24 pounds of marijuana that you're going to grow one household in a year. So that just goes to show you how are you going to know if it's legitimate or not. And it's, it's, it's going to be a big mess on trying to regulate and keep track of what's going on. And again, you're going to have an overmarket of marijuana and they need to get rid of it. So they're going to start selling it illegally. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I guess another factor too would be, you know, when you talk about these tax revenues that everyone says we're going to get from uh, legalizing marijuana, well, the, 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 an incentive for staying in the black market is you don't have to pay those taxes, you know? Very good point. Make, yes. You're going to make more more profits that way. So, yes. Um, so, uh, I want to dive into another issue here that uh, gets talked about a lot with marijuana. So, and that's the whole issue of, is marijuana a gateway drug um, that leads to, uh, you know, a greater propensity of people to start using even more toxic substances like heroin or cocaine or whatever. And, uh, you know, the people who are backing marijuana legalization just, you know, hotly deny this, you know, just say that the whole gateway drug thing is a myth, you know, that that's just uh, rubbish, just a scare, just a scare tactic to try to convince people that marijuana legalization is going to lead to all of this. It's going to open this Pandora's box uh, to all these other uh, drug problems. So I just, you know, what is, what does Sheriff Pat West uh, say? Is marijuana a gateway drug or not? (laughs) Yes, I think it is. And and this is the reason why I believe that. I've, interviewed hundreds and hundreds of, I've been involved in over a thousand of interviews with people. And majority of those interviews, uh, individuals that I've talked to, I cannot remember anyone that has told me that they have used methamphetamine or heroin or a really bad illicit drug and not started with marijuana first. Now, wow. there are there are people that I'm sure that smoke marijuana that have not gone to that level. But Midwest Haida just released a, a, some statistics that shows ages 14 to 18, if those individuals use marijuana, they are 26 times more likely to use another illicit drug after they've tried marijuana. So... When people tell me it's not a gateway drug, I say, you don't have any statistics to say that. I do because I've interviewed several hundreds of people that have said, oh, no, I started with marijuana first and then I moved in because I didn't just jump into the heroin market or jump into the methamphetamine market. That didn't happen. So 
the statistics that I have are firsthand real life stuff. And that's why I believe that. Yeah. And, and what was the study that you just cited about the, um, the Midwest Haida report uh, would have been. Um, and it's Haida and Haida, just for our listeners who are not familiar with the acronym, what, what would, what does Haida mean? That would be the high intensity drug trafficking area. Okay. So that would be okay. South Dakota, uh, Nebraska, um, Wyoming, Colorado, and there's one other. I don't remember what it is, but okay. it's a group of states in the Midwest corridor okay. that, that that statistic came from them on their study. Yes. Okay. So, th- so they're kind of collaborating on data sharing to come up with a, like a regional uh, perspective on, on, on the drug use, right? Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah. And, and it's a, a law enforcement document. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I want to you know, skip back to the uh, talking a little bit more about the crime um, that it, it seems like one of the interesting facets of this whole legalization debate is that, um, you know, you've, you've got some crime increase that's the result of just what people are doing when they're under the influence of marijuana. You know, it, it's impairing their judgment, which is then causing them to you know, to commit other crimes. Mm-hmm. But then you've got the, the other aspect, which is, you know, people who, you know, they may not be under the influence of marijuana at that moment, but they're engaging in the the petty theft and the, well, not necessarily petty theft, but just, you know, theft and crime uh, to support their, their, their drug habit. It really is kind of like a two, two sides of a coin, isn't it? In terms yes. of the crime linkage. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, talk about that, you know, all, all, we're, all we're doing is just throwing people in jail from, you know, misdemeanor marijuana and small amounts of marijuana. Well, that's not true. I mean, yeah. people are getting citations for small amounts of marijuana where they have to pay the fine because there's a consequence. But, you know, I've talked to several jails across the state of South Dakota and a high percentage, I'm talking 90 plus percent of the inmates that are in jail are in jail as a result of doing bad things while under the influence of marijuana and or other drugs. So they're not in there just specifically because of the drugs, but they're in there because of uh, being under the influence while they were doing other things. Does that make right. sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So, so in other words, the, you know, the picture that gets painted for us by the proponents of legalization is that, our prison system is just jam-packed full of people who, you know, had a couple of joints, uh, you know, in their car um, and they were possessing small amounts of illegal marijuana and they're rotting away in our prisons, you know, simply for petty drug offenses. And what, what you're telling me is just that that's a myth. Right. Yeah. And yeah, that is not the case. Like primarily when, when we, and still to this day, when the drug unit, the drug team in Rapid City is they're working high level drug cases. And so we're not we're not throwing people in jail just for small amounts. Again, yeah. we are going after the drug traffickers, the drug trafficking organizations that are doing that. And again, back to the jail thing, it's all those people are in there, majority of them are in there because of they were under the influence while doing other bad things. Yeah. Okay, good. All right. Well, we are uh for our uh, folks who are listening to us on the radio, we unfortunately are coming up against our uh, 
our allotted time for the show, but uh, we're going to continue the conversation with Pat West. And if you'd like to hear the whole conversation, we encourage you to visit the South Dakota Catholic Conference website. That's sdcatholicconference.org. And if you look in the top menu, there's a little thing that says podcasts, and you can uh, listen to the whole conversation. But uh, for our radio listening audience, uh, uh, thank you for joining us. And until next time, live well. All right. And for you uh, lucky uh, people who uh, get the podcast instead of listening uh, on the radio, uh, we are going to continue our conversation with uh, Pat West, uh, Sheriff-elect of Meade County. Um, So we were talking a little bit about the the myth of, um, you know, that that our prisons are jam-packed with people who are there simply for for petty drug offenses. And and we've established that that isn't uh, uh, really true. but I want to dive into another myth. Um, well, I, I think it's a myth, at least the based on the statistics. But but let's unpack it a little bit. Is the the proponents of this initiated measure twenty seven say that um, it's not going to be a problem for youth, young people using marijuana, because it's only legalized for those who are over the age of twenty one. And I guess I'd just like to know your sense of it, Pat. Uh, you know, do you? Do you take any comfort in the fact that it's only legalized for those over 21 or, or do you see this as being a problem for the youth as well? Yeah. And, and to me, I put, I put in my mind, it makes sense that if there is more marijuana that is accessible and available to the public, juveniles or underage people under the age of 21 are going to have access to that and they're going to get it and they're going to see, uh, older people using it, they're going to see um, maybe in some cases relatives or uh, parents using it, and they're going to think it's it's going to be fine. And by having it legalized legalized in in the adult world, they believe that it it should be uh, something that they should be able to get a hold of, and and they're going to do it. And um, again, I hate to keep going back to other states, but it's already been proven in other states that underage use under the age of 21 will increase if this becomes legal. Yeah. And, and the, uh, I mean, well, there's a number of problems with that, but uh, obviously the key one is that uh, uh, a lot of the studies that have been done uh, about marijuana's effect on the brain uh, seems to indicate that the the worst effects are amongst the young, you know, when they're using it, that it, that it really impairs um, normal brain development, lowers IQ. Uh, so, so yeah, we really have to worry about particularly, I mean, marijuana use is not good for anyone, but I, in particular, we need to worry about it when it's being used by young people whose brains are still developing. Yes, sir. Um, so you've you've talked a little bit, uh, Pat, about uh, uh, drugged drivers, you know, uh, people who are involved in traffic accidents uh, because they're high on marijuana. And I, I want to dive a little bit more into that because obviously this happens with alcohol too. You know, we have uh, a, a problem with drunk driving that you know, despite a lot of efforts to combat that, um, it it does persist. Um, but Having said that, there's some unique difficulties, aren't there, when it comes to the issue of of of, of how you um, you know detect whether somebody's under the influence of marijuana when they're involved in an accident? 
Sure, sure. And, you know, the obvious sign would be you could smell the marijuana on them. But there, there are instances when you cannot smell that on an individual. So how do you determine what level of intoxication is this person? Now, we do have DREs or drug recognition experts out there that are able to determine that. But, for example, if somebody smokes marijuana one time and has never done it before, smokes it one time, it could be, uh, you know, three or four days before that gets out of their system. Where if you have a um, person that smokes marijuana has done it for several years, that's going to be in his system for 30, 45 days, you know, if he were to stop using. So, yeah. you know, when it comes to the blood tests and things like that, there's really no level established as to um, what level of intoxication is going to be tolerable as far as driving under the influence. You know, they measure it in nanograms, how much, how many nanograms of THC is in somebody's blood system. Well, they haven't determined on what level that's going to be. So, you know, you may, you may have smoked marijuana four hours earlier, you crash your car and kill somebody. Are you liable because of the marijuana you smoked four hours earlier? I believe that you are, but it's just one of those things that we need to figure that that whole thing out and i don't know if anybody's ever really addressed that yeah and and um i'm not not trying to put words into your mouth here but 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 from a law enforcement perspective i'm assuming that would be a real problem right because when you're dealing with somebody under the influence of alcohol you've got that objective standard under the law you know of the uh, 0.08 yep yeah yeah and and so you know you're if you have to stand in court you know for this person's trial um you know all pat west has to show is i i did the breathalyzer test here's the results your honor this is the standard that's set under the law it's objective it's it's cut and dried right Um, unless the defendant can come up with some argument for why your equipment was flawed or something like that you know but but at least you've got an objective standard to work around but when you don't have uh, an objective standard, uh, you know, I can't help but wonder whether that maybe disincentivizes some law enforcement people from even, you know, pressing that charge because you, you have, it's, it's all about what you can prove in court, right? Right, right. And, yeah. you know, if you have the marijuana, you have it in your possession, but now you're talking that it's in your body. So for example, now, if, you were to give a urinalysis and you tested positive for marijuana under the rule now, you'd be guilty of a violation. But mm. there's no measurement. It just says there's marijuana in your system. Yeah. So what level, yeah. I don't know. So, yeah. I mean, that, that's a good thing to, to discuss for future stuff, too, is, you know, if, if we legalize this, how is it going to be regulated? Because we need to have a good standard. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm just just thinking to myself here that uh, for those listening to this show, um, if 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 this show does nothing else, uh, it ought to persuade people that there are way too many unanswered questions about the effects of this. Uh, way know. too many unknowns on this deal. You are right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's it it's it's fraught with complications that that most ordinary people who will be voting on this ballot measure have, have not 
you know, thought about sufficiently. And, and that's a good segue for, you know, another question I wanted to ask you about, which is this whole thing about, um, you know, we talk about smoking marijuana, but, but it's, it's a much bigger thing than that. I mean, nowadays it's, uh, we've got these things, uh, I guess they're marijuana edibles, uh, brownies or cookies or, or whatnot that are, um, laced with THC, which uh, we, we haven't talked about THC, but that's just the abbreviation for the the the, the long multi-syllable uh, chemical name for the uh, the psychoactive. You want me to try it? It's, yeah. It's Do you know it? <laughs> Tetrahydrocannabinol. <laughs> there you go. There THC, you go. That's what it that, is. Yeah. yeah and, 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 that, and that's why we're going to say THC because I will not be able to, to get that out without uh, tripping over myself. So, but uh but with these uh, sort of food products, um, you know, now now we're taking the the THC, you know, extracting that from marijuana and putting it into these uh, other edible substances. Uh, what are some of the complications that we can expect to see with that? Yeah, the, the problem with that um, is there is no regulation on how much THC is infused into each one of those pieces of candy. For example, gummy bears. You have one gummy bear and you have others and there's no regulation as to is there an equal amount in each one of those gummy bears. For example, another story about the dangers. Um, somebody takes an edible gummy bear and it goes into your belly, the system, it takes a while for it to, to uh, you know, react to your body. So they take another one and still, and then they take a third one that may have way more infused THC in it than the first one. And as a result, you're having what you would call an overdose or you've got way too much in your system, which uh, falls into the psychosis problem and hallucinating and, you know, being afraid for your life. And there are examples in Colorado where people have done that and they're jumping off third floor motel rooms because they just don't get it. They don't understand what's going on with their body. And, you know, they, there was another statistic with uh, Midwest Heider that was talking about the amount of uh, poison call or poison center calls yeah. to uh, try to deal with these overdoses of edibles. You know, you've got kids accidentally taking some of these edibles that, think they're really candy and they put them in their mouth. Next thing you know, they're, they're, they're extremely sick or they're unconscious in, in some cases. So it is definitely a problem. And, you know, I kind of relate it to the, uh, the fentanyl situation where I've dealt with that a little bit. Same thing is you've got a product that somebody's familiar with and you infuse it with a chemical and there's no, regulation as to how much is in each in each one you're going to have a disaster and somebody's going to somebody's going to die as a result of it and it's scary yeah well and and uh, you you mentioned uh, increased calls to uh, poison control centers but uh, also uh, i i believe this is data from colorado uh, you can correct me if i'm wrong uh, that they saw a big spike in emergency room visits yep. associated with with marijuana use and 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 oftentimes it it involves these edible products cuz the just the the dent the concentration of the THC makes these things um extremely 
toxic. So. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, the edibles and then the marijuana itself, it's just so much different now. The regular marijuana that is growing now is almost 30% THC, where back in the 70s, it was 7 to 8%. And then the edibles is almost 90% infused in some cases, and it just becomes extremely unpredictable. Yeah. You know, and I'm so glad you brought that up, Pat, about the increased THC content, because you know, if you'd asked me a year ago, uh, you know, do I think legalizing marijuana you know, is a good idea? I would have said, no, it's not a, no, nah, I don't think that's a good idea. But I honestly was not aware about the uh, THC uh, uh, content of modern marijuana until just, just about three or four months ago when I started doing a little bit more research. Uh, that that just blew my mind that it's, that the amount of the 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 psychoactive ingredient in marijuana that produces the high, that that amount has increased exponentially. And it seems to me that the the, the danger that represents is that, you know, I mentioned the 87% of, of South Dakotans who haven't used marijuana, at least in the last 12 months. And, and I, you can, can divide that group into sort of two subgroups. One subgroup is people like myself who've never uh, used marijuana. I've just never had any curiosity about it whatsoever. Uh, but then you've got this other group that, you know, I don't know what the numbers are, but it's probably pretty significant, which is people who, you know, maybe use marijuana sporadically, you know, as a teenager, maybe in college, they were at a party, you know, they, they toked, you know, they smoked a few joints and they felt like, eh, you know, it wasn't really a big deal. It didn't have much effect on me. And, and that's the, the mindset that they're bringing into the voting booth with them in November. And, and uh, you know, what, what they don't realize is that the drug that they were using back in high school and college has very little resemblance to yes. what's on the streets today. Is, is that a fair statement? Yes. Not, um, not even close. These people that know how to grow this marijuana are experts at doing it. And they understand uh, the type of seeds that they have, the fertilizer they use, the amount of water, uh, the amount of light, and they have really uh, made it to where they understand how to do it and get the most potent marijuana that they can possible. And which which is, is the difference between growing marijuana outside in the elements or growing indoor marijuana where you can control the environment, that indoor marijuana is going to be so much more potent and that's where it becomes very, very dangerous for people. Wow. Okay. Well, Pat, we are about out of time. I, I guess just in closing, uh, do, do you have like a bottom line message that you'd like to convey to South Dakotans before they cast their ballots on Measure 27? Absolutely. I've been investigating and fighting the war on marijuana for almost 30 years. I have seen firsthand what it does to juveniles, what it does to individuals and their family, and how much uh, it devastates them. And it is important that people understand that the farther we get into this, the more difficult it's going to be on everybody in South Dakota. We cannot allow legal marijuana in South Dakota. If we do, we are going to have a big train wreck and you know, I hate to say that, but people are going to say, man, if I'd have known what it was like, I wouldn't have voted for it. Let's not do that. Let's yeah. not do that. 
November 8th, let's vote no on initiative measure 27 and not let it in here. Wow. Thank, thank you so much, Pat. Thank you for joining us uh, on the program today. Your insights, I think, are, uh, I mean, they've certainly been illuminating to me, and I think they are for our listeners as well. Um, well, uh, just in wrap-up, um, as, as many of uh, our regular listeners are aware, um, the Catholic bishops of South Dakota uh, are, are in agreement with uh, Sheriff West on this issue, uh, and they've issued a statement urging uh, Catholics and, and all South Dakota's uh, citizens to uh, to research this issue, understand it, uh, and and vote no uh, when it comes up on November 8th. And the South Dakota Catholic Conference has established a, a, a web page uh, which contains a whole bunch of resources, uh, some, some short videos, some informative articles. Uh, many of these are are targeted towards uh, a Catholic audience, but but many of them are not. And so so whether you are are Catholic or not, I, I encourage you to go visit that webpage. There's a lot of great information. So that's uh, sdcatholicconference.org, and then if you um, if you look in the top uh, menu bar in the website, there's a little button that says issues. If you click on issues, you'll see the pull down menu and it'll say vote no on initiated measure 27. You click on that and there's a whole uh, bunch of good resources that you can share with uh, people that you go to church with, your coworkers, uh, family members. Um, and uh, again, just uh, get yourself informed uh, on this issue and uh, and vote no on initiated measure 27. Uh, that's all can the I time. Do, oh, yeah, Can absolutely. I do one plug? Yeah. Um, now, I, I'm the law enforcement liaison for protecting South Dakota kids. We have a website that's available. So if people are, are inclined to go check it out, please do so. Um, it gives a little bit of details of, of what our group is about and why we are trying to defeat this measure. I am 27. So please check it out. Uh, law enforcement is behind it. They understand it better than anybody. And uh, if we can convince everybody to get to the polls and and vote no, we're, we're going to be in better shape. So, Michael, thank you for having me. I appreciate you being here. Appreciate you allowing me to be here. Yeah, no, I appreciate that very much. And thank you for putting in that plug for the uh, Protecting South Dakota Kids. I had that on my my menu to do, and uh, and I didn't do that. So the website is uh, protecting uh, sdkids.com, protectingsdkids.com. And there's, uh, you know, you can read all about the issue and also uh um you know make a donation if you're so willing to help uh you know fund this campaign to educate south dakotans about the dangers of this measure so um, that's all the time we have uh thanks everybody for listening and until next time live well